Let me, uh, let me pray for us and we'll get going. Father in heaven, thank you for that reminder that you are sovereign, that you are in control, that you have not forgotten us, not abandoned us, and that a leaf does not fall from a tree without you knowing about it. And so I just pray that you would be with us this morning, that you would help your word to land softly on ears that are willing and ready to hear and that you would use it to transform lives. We believe in that. Um, We believe that you desire for us to know you, and we know you through your scripture. And so I pray that you would um, just make much of yourself through your word this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, if you've got a Bible, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 6. I know that doesn't sound like 2 Corinthians, because it's not. Um... David and I were talking, and, and since we're here at Wesley, which is a great facility for us for now, um, there are things we want to do, Sunday school trainings, these types of things that we're just not able to do logistically just yet. We're trying to work on that, figure that out. But some of the things we want to equip you all with are you know, care. You know, We talk a lot about biblical counseling and really discipleship tools. And so uh, I'll be teaching every four or five weeks to kind of give David a break. And when I do, I'll probably be teaching on more care-related subjects. So just kind of a, hey, why are we not in 2 Corinthians? Well, that's why. But I do want to say, in light of what we talked about last week with, you know, the God of all comfort and the one who comforts us so that we can comfort those with the same comfort with which we've been comforted, I do think this passage lends, lends itself to that idea. So we'll be in Matthew 6, um, starting in verse 19, if you've got your Bible. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so... If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So Jesus is, this is a part in the the scripture where it's called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. It's, it's, the most uh, extensive teaching of Jesus at any given time. And, and he just finished talking to, to people about uh, rewards. You know, if you fast a certain way, and, and you'll get your reward because men will look on you and go, man, you're so holy and, and great. And, these guys, that, and Jesus is like, don't do that. In fact, make it look like you're not fasting. Make it, you know, pray to God who will provide for you. And it, so he's ta- he just finished talking about reward. And now he moves into this section about our treasure. And he uses three illustrations to to make the same singular point. And this is the point, that followers of God, followers of Jesus, must be singularly devoted to that purpose. They must be singularly devoted to the following and obedience of God, to God. All their energy and efforts and motivation should be towards living a life that is devoted to God. And so he uses these three illustrations. The first one is, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth but rather store for yourselves treasures in heaven. 
you know, we've got things like the, you know, the stock market or, or investments, you know, homes and these things like that that can, uh, you know, grow in value over time, which is fine and fair and wise. And they, they didn't have the stock market back then, but they did. They would buy, you know, fine clothing or, or perfumes bottles that they would stick on the, you know, shelf and never touch because they would grow in value or these gems that would grow in value. And, and so Jesus is saying, why do you do that? Why do you store those things up for yourselves? Right, you spend all this time, but but moth and rust, they can they can wear those things out. A thief could come in and take it all. Right, you're devoting your energy to that, but instead, devote yourself to things that grow, to, to give you treasure in heaven. Right, and, and what is that? That's devotion to God, obedience to God, doing the things of God. These teachings that I've been relaying to you these past two you know, chapters is not what he said, but these past two chapters, that's what we need to be devoting our life to. And so these, these investments in our future need to be heavenly, not earthly. So then he makes this big statement. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is a huge statement. Essentially, Jesus is saying, whatever you love and truly treasure, or whatever you truly treasure, that's where your heart is. That's what you truly love. If you really want to know what somebody loves, look at their treasure. Look at what they treasure. What do they talk about the most? What do they spend their time you know, doing the most. You want to know what somebody loves, look at their treasure. So that's the first illustration. The second one is the healthy eye versus the unhealthy eye. And this uh, illustration seems a little bit out of place if we just read it straight through, but it's actually making the same point. The, the word for healthy here is this Greek word hoplos, which means single or singular. Um, and then actually the, the Septuagint, which is the, the earliest translation of the Old Testament into Greek, so they, that, that same word is used to mean complete or perfect, undivided, right? So it has this singular purpose, singular, undivided way about it. So if your eye is that way, it will be healthy. And in contrast, the word bad here means you know, evil or bad or also has this meaning of jealous. And so what Jesus is saying is, look, if you have a, a healthy eye, which is good and devoted, and, and particularly as it pertains to God, and we're devoted that way and undivided to his you know, things, the things of God, then your eye will be healthy. But if you do not, then, then it will be bad, and it will permeate through all of what you do. What drives you, all of it will be bad. And, and not only will it be bad, it will be, there will be a, a, a sense of jealousy because you're never, it's never going to fulfill you. It's never going to ultimately uh, transform you because it, it doesn't fulfill. The thing that you're chasing does not fulfill. So it's a contrast. The thing that motivates you is singularly devoted to God, then everything that flows out will be devoted to God. But if you're seeking devotion to earthly things and earthly treasure, then everything that flows out will be devoted to earthly treasure. And you will never be satisfied because you always have a little bit of jealousy for wanting more. So finally, in his last illustration, God says, you cannot serve two masters. You just can't do it. And the word serve here is actually the word that means to be a slave to. Right? Like we can understand the idea of being uh, working two jobs, right? being employed by t- two employers, that's not what he's saying. He's saying you can't be a slave to two different masters. You know, and the, the idea of slavery, no matter its connotations, it is uh, someone purchases a, another person so that they can work for them exclusively. They can be a part of their workforce or whatever it is exclusively. You can't, they, nobody shares slaves, right? And so what God is saying is you can't be devoted to two things. And in particular, he uses two, two words. You can't be devoted to God or money, the word mammon, which is treasure. Okay, finally, he says it straight out. 
You can't be devoted to that. And the reason you can't be devoted to those two things is because they're ultimately, at their core, at, there's two different roots driving them. One is man-centered. One is about uh, you know, helping man, helping uh, glorify man, secure man, taking care of man. And the other one is about glorifying God and trusting him to do the things that he says he's going to do. In fact, one com- commentator says it like this. The marching orders of God and mammon are in opposite directions. Okay, so we can't serve those two things. Now, I want to be clear. There's a direct correlation between our hearts, what we love, and what motivates us to do the things we do, and our treasure, what we value the absolute most. Or let me put it this way. There's a direct link between what we worship and what we do in response to the things we worship. Okay? There's a direct link between what we worship and what we do in response to the things we worship. Now, understanding that, I make that point because as we move into the next section, it becomes really important to understand that idea. Um, So I'm going to keep reading in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to, your, to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, he will not... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, if you didn't know from the four times it said, do not be anxious, we're talking about anxiety. And again, uh, understanding the, the, especially the treasure and what we worship in our hearts as it leads into that is critically important to this idea. So when we're not singularly devoted to God, when we're not singularly devoted to God, the byproduct in this particular case we he's talking about is anxiety. So what am I talking about with anxiety? What is it? Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a feeling of worry, of nervousness, of unease, about something that we are uncertain of the outcome. We don't know what's going to happen, and so we're worried about it. I'm scared about how something's going to turn out because I don't know how it's going to turn out. So Jesus says, therefore, in light of everything that he said about reward first and now treasure, he gives the command, do not be anxious about your life what you'll eat or what you'll drink or your body, what you'll put on. And this is hard. Do we know how life's going to turn out? Real question. Do we know how life is going to turn out? No. We don't know what's going to happen when we drive off this island this morning. Right? We, we don't know what's going to happen. But Jesus does. Now, is Jesus talking about all worry, all care, that we should just walk around and not give a rip about anything? No, that's not what he's talking about at all. In fact, some worry is good. Right? If you're a soldier, you should be hyper-aware when going into a, a 
some dangerous situation, or you're walking places you shouldn't go downtown, you should be a little bit aware. Right? You should be a little bit worried. It, it heightens your senses. But that's not what he's talking about, and it's honestly not what most of us struggle with. So I want to be careful, too, because I know that to different degrees, a lot of us, I would say all of us, struggle with worry, worry with fear and anxiety. To different degrees, different levels, we all struggle with it. But I want to talk about what Jesus says this morning so that uh, hopefully it will give us some hope that there is a remedy and a cure for our anxious heart. I also want to say, uh, well, let's, let's get into it. He's also not talking about work. Again, he's not saying don't do anything. In fact, the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. right? So it's not that. The birds, they go out to look for food. They do the work. But what the, what the birds have come to understand is that they're going to go out and there's going to be food there. We're going to go do this work and there's going to be food. We, we have to believe and work as though we have a total reliance on God's provision to provide those things. It even says, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. So we're not to be lazy, but rather we're to work and trust God's provision to do what he says he's going to do, which is to provide for us. And then Jesus even says something that shows that actually the, the futility of fear and worry and anxiety. Right? The futility of it. He says, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life. Luke 12 is a parallel telling of this teaching and it adds, if you can't even do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? And as I read that, I thought to myself, well, actually, I think adding an hour to your life is not a small thing. It's a big thing. It's a hard thing. How, how is this Jesus even consider saying, how can you, if you can't do a small thing as that, how do you expect to, you know, do anything else? And, and, and Jesus' point here is that we can't. We can't add a single hour to our life. Exercise all you want. Eat as healthy as you want, which is good, right? But the Bible says that you know your days are numbered long before you started living them. So who can add a single hour to your life? There's futility and worry. Um, have you guys ever seen that movie, Bridge of Spies? It's a, a movie about uh, a a Russian spy, and they're trying to make a, a like a prisoner transfer, and Tom Hanks is in it, and he, he goes into this Russian um, spy who's now been arrested, and he says, you know, I'm your legal counsel. You shouldn't talk to anybody. You don't need to talk to anybody. Um, and the guy's like, okay. And then he says, you know, in fact, you shouldn't talk to anybody because most people want to see you go to the electric chair. So I wouldn't talk to anybody. And the guy just says, okay. And, and then Tom Hanks goes, you know, can I ask you a question? You don't seem particularly worried about that. And the Russian says, would it help? Which is a kind of it's always stuck with me. It's a stunning illustration because that's the that's the question. Would it help? Would it help for me to be worried for my life? Would it help to worry about the outcome of this? No, actually, it wouldn't, because the outcome is going to be the outcome. So then Jesus moves into a second illustration to continue to make his point. Consider the lilies of the field; they don't toil or spin, and yet even Solomon, the richest man who ever lived, who had access to things unimaginable was as gloriously clothed as these lilies. Again, Jesus says it. Do not be anxious about these things, food, clothing, or life. In light of our first section, Jesus is showing that the things that people put their hope and trust in to make their future more secure and more certain 
ultimately become sources of anxiety themselves. Right? The things that people invest their time and energy in, their bank account, the stock market, their jobs, their houses, their cars, their family even, their marriages. They can become the sources of anxiety because ultimately they, they can't give, fulfill the thing that we're after. And so why is this the case? Well, because anxiety is directly related to our belief in God and his ability to provide for our lives. Anxiety is directly related to a, a worship and a belief issue. And I want to talk about this idea of worship for just a second because worship, worship is a weighty thing. It's a heavy thing. right? So much so that anything that you put the weight of worship on will crumble. Anything you ultimately put the weight of worship on is going to crumble. You want to see something crumble and break? Worship it. Your marriage, your, your kids, your job, your reputation, your finances, your integrity. Put the weight of worship on it and slowly it will tear away at the foundation and it will crumble. And the problem with that is that what is the next response to that? When we start to see the world around us, the things that we have put our hope and our trust in crumble, what is the byproduct of that? It's, it's fear. It's worry. It's anxiety. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Our anxiety really starts to reveal itself when we place our worship in created things. Good things. These aren't sinful things. Good things. Good gifts from God that if we're honest in the deep recesses of our heart have become ultimate things. They are essentially, you know, if you, if you picture it, I, when, in counseling I use this little picture. It's really, I'm quite the artist, but it's just like a little step. And then there's a throne at the top of it. And I put all these little A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And I say, all right, let's talk about some good things in your life. You know, your marriage, your kids, your job, all, all those things. And I just use this simple illustration. God should be on the throne. He's at the top. He should be. But what happens is slowly these other things start to creep up higher and higher and higher. And God starts to creep lower and lower and lower. And nobody's going to say, well, no, God is... God isn't actually what I'm, I'm not worshiping. I'm worshiping these other things. Well, you're sitting in front of me because you're totally scared that these things are going to fall apart. Right? And I only say that to say that when these things become ultimate things, they will crumble. If we put the weight of worship onto them, they're going to break down. And so, we. I also say it like this anxiety is an internal problem, it's not an external problem. Okay, we often want to blame external things, and, and listen, external things that have source become, first become you know, an unwilling source of worship have now become an unwilling source of anxiety. Right? It's the same thing. The thing we, we wanted to bring security actually have, have brought us fear and worry because they're starting to crumble around us, and they become the catalyst to our worry. And Jesus says in the next passage here, after the illustrations, that the, unbel- the, the Gentiles, so it's just a word used to say unbeliever, they seek after these things. Food, drink, clothing, things that bring security. Why? Because they actually have no answer outside of themselves for where provision comes from. They have no answer to that. They have to work for these things. They have to seek security in things of, of created things because they have no true answer for where provision comes from. So then Jesus says, though your father, and I love that he says father. I love that he says father here because it shows the type of relationship that we're talking about here between God and his children. 
You know, he knows that you need these things. He knows that you need these things. You know, my two-year-old has to eat, right? Every, there's a lot of kids in this place. We, as parents, we all know that you have to eat. We know that you can't go to school naked, right? We, we know that you have to be driven somewhere to get to where you need to go. Right? We know these things. And so we gladly, because we know them, take care of that. And actually, we know the things you don't need as well. So when you, know, you want chocolate for dinner, that's a bad idea. And we know that, maybe from experience, right? So we know these things. And, but, but because we love you, because we're parents, we gladly take care of you. And, that, and, and how much better of a parent is God the Father than we are to our kids? And so he says, don't, don't, don't worry about them. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need these things. And so he, then he goes into the remedy. Seek first... Verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek the places where God is king. That's what he's saying. Seek out the areas where he's not and remedy that. The whole passage has been about our heart and our treasure, internal and external things. God has to be king over all of them. And the reality is he already is. He already is the king over all of them. He is, it's our rebellion to his kingship. And ultimately try and, and make it otherwise. Seek first. Before you seek food and drink and clothing and security, seek God as king over all those things. So you'll actually know how to handle those things rightly uh, under the kingship of God. And I know that this, you know, again, anxiety is and fear and worry is something that a lot of us deal with on different levels to different degrees. But I want us to hear that part because there's been a lot of, you know, don't be anxious, don't do it, hear illustration, da, da, da. And, and then there's this one line that says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and he will provide these things. There's just one line that talks about the remedy to all this stuff. But this is good news. We need to hear this and absorb this and understand this. This is good news for us. This whole passage has been about, well, he closes with this. He closes, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough worry, don't worry about tomorrow. Right, don't worry about that. This whole passage has been about future security, but Jesus is saying, you don't need to worry about that. Your father knows. He knows what you need today. He knew what you needed yesterday when you were provided for. Somehow you made it to today. And guess what? You'll make it to tomorrow if he so wills, and he will provide for that. He will take care of you today and tomorrow in the struggle. So as we, I'm going to start to wind down a little bit, but wrap up. But I want us to talk about anxiety for a minute and a few things uh, as, we, as we close. Uh, I, I mentioned this already, but I think it's important to kind of talk about again. Anxiety uh, comes from within us, not outside of us. It comes from within us, not outside of us. And please listen, don't hear me say... Don't hear me say, this is your fault. You're weak in faith. You need more faith. If you had more faith, you wouldn't be anxious. Right? You shouldn't have anxiety because you don't have enough faith or you're not doing a good job. And one of my favorite lines of any song is from Come Thou Fountain. And it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Right? That's all of us. We're all prone to this. We're all prone to unbelief. We're all, all prone to idol worship. In our hearts, we're all prone to that. 
And especially we have a tendency to gravitate toward these things and things that bring us comfort or care for those closest to us. When we can't help our kids, when we can't help the people that are struggling, that's, that's when it starts to really bring up worry in us. This is not a, a blame game, right? It's, it, but, it's, but it's important for us to know where the issues originate, where the problem originates, so that we can work to put it in the right place and fix it. You know, when, when it doesn't do any good to, to start pointing blame, and, you know, it doesn't matter how we got here, what are we going to do to fix it? And, you know, we have a van, if, if the radiator goes out, I don't, Sonia and I don't sit and talk about whose fault it is. It wore out. You know, it just, it happened. And so, but what are we going to do to fix it? It's a much better idea and better conversation to have. Listen, we all need help at times. We all need help at times, especially in the areas of fear and worry and anxiety. And this is a, you know, pause. It's a great time for a plug, right? Uh, hope is a place that wanna, wants to offer biblical counseling. We want to take the scriptures and apply it to our lives in areas of fear and worry and you know, depression and any other struggle that we have because we all struggle because we all live in a sinful world that is broken and we are broken. And until the Lord comes back where there's no more, you know, crying or mourning or fear or sin or anything like that, we struggle with this. And so let us help you. Let us teach you how to, to engage it and, and, sh- and deal with the struggle and deal with and bring others into that to help each other deal with the struggle. Remember 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3 last week, so that we can comfort with the same comfort with which we've been comforted. That's what we're here to do, and we want to do that. Secondly, um, for the women in the room, uh, the Women's Biblical Counseling Conference in January, I really, 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 really think you should go. Um, really. Think you should go. The theme this year is women, biblical counseling, and the problem of suffering. You know, I hope we want to teach you uh, what what the Bible says about certain topics. We want to teach you how to engage it, how to handle the word for yourself. Um, but there, are, surprisingly, there are actually people out there that are better at it than we are. That was a joke. I, mean, I don't really think that highly of ourselves. Um, but these are going to be some of the best speakers you're going to hear on this topic. They're, they're, they're fantastic. I tell you, they have the you know, kind of plenary big sessions, but the workshops that you'll go to are worth the, the cost of admission, I guarantee you. These things are super practical, super engaging, and it will be like drinking from a fire hose. But here's the good news. When you go with like five, ten, eight other women, however many you end up going, you get to spend the next four or five months after building these relationships, working through some of these things and talking about some of these things. And we, wanna, you know, we had talked about maybe kind of sharing the, the you know, burden of, cost and things like that with other people. We want our Hope Women to do this pretty exclusively, to build these relationships and to be able to engage the topics with each other and talk through about them with each other. Um, Husbands, I really, 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 here we go, really want to encourage you to send your wife. Okay? Make a way. Watch the kids. Get a babysitter. Whatever it takes. Find a way to get them down there. Okay? All right. Plug over. <laughs> so, again, knowing where anxiety comes from is key. Secondly, you know, it, it becomes a thing, uh, and I understand why, but I, you know, biblical counseling seems like a strange thing to a lot of people, and, and, and an argument I get a lot is like, now, is biblical counseling the things that doesn't believe in medicine? No. 
I'm not here today to tell anybody to stop taking any medication. Right? I'm not, that's not my point. I think the, the mind and the body is powerful. And I think as we become anxious that our body can physically respond in ways, you know, from anything from lack of sleep to loss of appetite, mood swings, uh, even panic attacks. I don't know if anybody in here has ever experienced a panic attack, but there's literally nothing wrong with you. The doctors say, I know you feel like you're dying, but you're actually fine. What is that craziness? I don't know. Right? But, but people have them. And it, it doesn't start as a panic attack. It starts much deeper. Okay? And it grows into those things. And so I would only caution you that you don't look as, as medication to be the cure for anxiety. Rather, a tool to help you in your battle to overcome anxiety through the context of deep heart searching, prayer, counseling, application of the word in the context of community. Right? It shouldn't be the cure. Remember what we've talked about. It's not the goal of, of life. It's not to alleviate pain, but it's to see how to, how to endure it and struggle in a way that is glorifying to God. Because ultimately, he allowed it into your life. So what, what's, what's, he need, what's he using it for? I want to say this too. Number two, I guess if there's a number. The battle is fought and won in our imagination. Right? The battle is fought and won in our imagination. Ephesians 4 tells us that we are to, to put off the old self to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and to put on the new self. Right? The, the, script, the scriptures have some complicated areas, you know, especially as you read through the Old Testament and Revelation. And so, there's some things that are kind of hard to understand. But when it comes to obedience, when it comes to the things that we're supposed to do and to obey God, to obey His commands, it's pretty black and white. It's pretty black and white. There's not a lot of gray there. I, I say often... You know, it's not particularly complicated, it's just hard. Okay? So, the hard part then becomes being transformed by the renewing of your mind and putting on the new self. Right? That's the hard area. And so often, um, the battleground is in our imagination. Right? 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We are taking every thought captive to obedience to Christ. You know, what we, what we do is we see that we're, you know, even a passage like this, that we are to trust God, trust Him with our future, what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to put on. We're supposed to trust Him with these things. And yet as we're at home or as we're watching the news or we're out at work, our mind starts to wander. You know, my kid's got a cold. What if it's more than a cold? You know, we have, my, my boss wants to have an important conversation with me this morning. What's it going to be about? You know, we don't, our, our imagination starts, and Let's be honest, we always go worst-case scenario, right? Most of us do. You know, there are a few, like, positive peats in here, but most of us, you know, we might think about, well, that could be a good resolution, but it's probably going to be the worst. And we're all going to, you know, end up on the streets, and we're going to have no food. And I don't know how we get there from we have a flat tire, right? But that's where we tend to go. So the battle is fought and won in our imagination, and we have to listen we have to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. That's what Paul says. When those things come up, we, we combat them with truth. We combat them with, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I can't worry about that. I have to put that thought to death. All right? And we, that's so, what's going to happen tomorrow? What if, what if these things happen? We don't know. But as believers, we take those thoughts captive and throw them out. We throw them out. We replace them with thoughts of obedience because we live by what is true, not in what we don't know. As believers, we should live by what is factual and what is true, not in what is untrue. That should be what drives us. 
And hear this, our feelings always follow what we believe. Our feelings always flow out of what we believe. And in our imagination, there's a war being fought. And it begins to chip away at what we believe about God and His sovereignty and His ability to provide for us. So we, we must take the lies that come at us and throw them out and replace them with what is true. Number three, anxiety. Hear this carefully. Anxiety is a sin that is redeemed by Jesus. Multiple times in this passage, Jesus says, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. That is an imperative. That is a command. And I'm not talking about general worry. You know, remember we talked, you know, there's some good worry. There's some things that, oh, something happened. We may not know about. Here's some worry. But this, this state of hyper-worry, of always worrying about where, what, there's a difference between being a little bit concerned and, and transgressing into sin. There's the temptation to worry, and then there's the actual worry and anxiety. And Jesus says, don't do it. And when Jesus says, do not do something in Scripture, and we do it, that is a transgression of a command. Right? And, and, I, and, and here's the thing. The world is not going to tell you that it's a sin. They're not. And again, if you're anxious in here this morning, I'm not telling you that you're weak, that you're a huge sinner, but, but the first step in overcoming anxiety is, is a step of repentance. It is a lack of trust in God and belief in His ability to provide, and we need to repent of that. It doesn't make you weak. It makes you a sinner that needs to be redeemed by God's grace. And, and, and anxiety, just like any other sin, is a sin that is redeemed by Jesus. So we believe, and here's the good news, that if it is a sin, then we believe that it is conquerable. And it is, you're able to win that battle. Right? We follow a God that raised Jesus from the dead, and his blood covers all of our sin, and even the sin of unbelief and idolatry. Because ultimately, those are underlying issues when it comes to worry and anxiety and fear. When Jesus Christ died to take away all of our sins, and when we confess and repent, he is faithful and just to forgive. So this is, this is the first step. And again, the, the world is not going to tell you this. The world wants you know, to... to Medicated away or, or say it's someone else's fault. God, I, I, I love this little church, you know? And I love you guys too much to not tell you this. If we're going to talk about what the Bible says, this is what the Bible says. And if you have a problem with what I'm saying this morning, I don't mean this like arrogantly, but it's ultimately a problem with the Bible that you have, not with me. And, and, and I want to tell you this, and I want to say, listen, as we struggle through some of these things together... We want to help. We want to help each other in this. So listen, we all go through periods of struggle, of caring for things more than we should, and treasuring the wrong things. We all do it. But I do, I want to praise God through Christ that we are forgiven. And we can repent, and we can be changed by His Spirit to overcome these things. Even things like fear and anxiety and worry. You know, that Jerry Bridges has this book. I encourage you all to read it. It's called Respectable Sins, which is just a funny title because there are no respectable sins. But all, many times we walk around with things like this and we go, well, at least it's not that. It's true. At least you didn't kill someone. But 
It doesn't make it any less sinful and it doesn't make it any less of a reason that Christ went to the cross on our behalf. And so, hear this well this morning. Christ loves you. Christ doesn't want you to fear and worry and have anxiety. He doesn't. That's why he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek the areas where he is king and I'll provide these things. It's a promise. And see, that's the thing. It's a transgression, but there's also a promise from God that if we do this, he will provide absolutely that the only way that he can say don't fear and don't worry is if he actually has the power to take care of you and he does so as we struggle in this together uh we want to we want to lead this into a time of, of communion where we celebrate this where we celebrate all of our sins being redeemed by christ where we talk about his body and his blood covering us and so i'm going to pray and uh, who, I don't know who, who's passing out communion, but get, you guys can go back there uh, and get ready. And then we're going to pass out the elements, and we're going to take them. Um, but let me pray, and, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll move into a time of communion. Father in heaven, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your blood that cleanses us. Thank you so much for your spirit that guides us. Without it, we would be lost. And thank you for your word that shows us the things that we need to know. And... and you know, the enemy, with something like fear and worry, it's such a subtle way in which the enemy wants to expose us and attack us. You know, most, most of us don't struggle with the, the big sins. We struggle with the little things that chip away at what we think about you and what we think about your ability to take care of us. And so, God, I, I pray this morning that you would... Uh, help us all. Give us more faith. What we believe, help our unbelief. Give us more belief in your ability to provide for us so that we can not treasure the things that are, you know, supposedly bring us security, but so that we can treasure you and that we can be generous with our, our stuff and our treasure and so that we can seek to do the things that give us heavenly reward and heavenly <coughs> treasure. And so, God, I, I thank you this morning for, the, for this word. And I just pray that you would help it to to transform lives here at Hope. And I pray in Christ's name, amen.